congregation may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The threat is very real. It's very real. The threat actually exists within our day and age. The, the very threat that Jesus himself proclaims to the Pharisees. They had come to him and were trying to protect him, right? Get out of here. Go away from here because Herod wants to kill you. It's tantamount to the same temptation that the devil gave and tempted Jesus with just a week or so ago. Throw yourself down from here and the Lord will command his angels concerning you to guard you and to lift you up so that you will not strike your heel against a stone. There, give your life up. The Lord will preserve you. Here, preserve your life for Herod wants to kill you. These foolish, foolish Pharisees, they have no idea. They have no concept of one thing. They have no concept of grace or mercy. They are bound by one thing and one thing alone, and that is the law of God. And you need to know that they in their heart of hearts were convinced that they were right. They, in their heart of hearts and in the depth of their faith, believed that they were doing God's will. That they, in and of themselves, were accomplishing and had accomplished all that God intended for them in and through the law. They were convinced they were not sinners. And they were wrong dead wrong, and eventually they would become desolate wrong. Jesus, he speaks to them. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as hens gather their chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. A lot of imagery going on here that Jesus brings out. He talks about how God has longed to bring his children under his wings like a hen with their chicks, but they were not willing but at the same time, these same Pharisees, these same, believe, these same who are faithful to the law, have in their temple, their house, in the midst, in the very center of their house, the Holy of Holies, there sits the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant with two seraphim, with wings outstretched towards each other. And under the gathering of the wings of these two seraphims is the law. The tablets broken in pieces in the midst of the holy seat. The law of God and the 
staff of Moses and Aaron. And what Jesus is saying is that he is now this box. This box, this Ark of the Covenant, he is now that. And he doesn't reside in this house made by human hands. No, instead he is the house of God. You see, when Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple that destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it, he means that he himself is now the ark of the covenant. He is the carrier of the Ten Commandments. He is the fulfiller of the Ten Commandments. All the commandments of the pro- and the prophets are bound up now in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This prophecy of Jesus comes to fulfillment in 70 A.D. The temple is destroyed, and it's never been rebuilt. The Pharisees, at the destruction of the temple, at the destruction of the temple, the college of Pharisees no longer exists because there's no place for the sacrifice to occur now. You have not had Pharisees since 70 A.D. Rebuild that temple and you will have, if the Jews rebuild that temple, there will be a college of Pharisees again. That house is desolate. The presence of God doesn't reside there anymore. The Holy of Holies, just even within the Jewish faith today, Judaism today, they have moved the presence of God in their theology in their belief and understanding, and they are convinced that they're right. There's no holy of holies anymore. There's no place behind the curtain. Where has God moved? If He's not in the holy of holies and the temple mount, then where is He? Well, the rabbis in Judaism today believe that His presence has moved. From the Holy of Holies, guess where? Into the bricks of the western wall, the wailing wall. That is where the presence of God dwells in their belief. That house is desolate. Now for us, we might think, well, that's too bad for them. But the threat exists for us as well. You see, where were the, and what were the Pharisees relying on? They were relying on the law of God. They could not for themselves understand or yet even believe in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to jump real quick because this has application for us today as we sit in these pews. I want to go to the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 4 and chapter 2. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne of God and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest of his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen proclamation that he's coming soon 
And then to the seven, so the seven churches represent and are the church on earth. It is the entire church. This letter is written to the church that exists on earth, to all of us. And to the first church, the church in Ephesus, he has some very good things to say, but also some things that, are, that he has against the church. The things that he, and I'll go to verse 2 of chapter 2. I know your works, and this is good. This is the positive. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you have not, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is the foundation of the church. It is the lampstand. And if we move away from the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and bind ourselves to the law, then we are no better than the Pharisees and our house will be forsaken and desolate. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is preeminent. It is preeminent. That means we start there. We remain there. We live there. When the law comes and the law is important, and don't hear me say that we are casting out the law this morning. That's not the case at all. The law is very important. But it should bemoan us, and we should apply the law with great tears and anguish when the law has to be applied. It should not be something that we are joyful about, the application of the law. It should be something that we have to do with a broken heart. But the gospel, the gospel that then takes that brokenness and binds it back up and rebuilds it and creates then this new heart in the repentant and in us who are the who are, who are bringing and, and proclaiming this forgiveness from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the church. This is the lamp. This is the lamp stand. Do not abandon this gospel. Paul warns in Galatians that he is shocked how the Galatians could abandon the gospel so easily and run after another gospel, which is no gospel at all. And that gospel was this, which is not gospel. It was from the Judaizers who came and said, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to be circumcised. A law? Another law? On top of the freedom of the gospel? That is rubbish. And anything, anytime somebody would come to you and say, you must or you better or you have to, is rubbish. 
It is not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The gospel is the freedom. The freedom from sin, the freedom from death, and the freedom from the power of the devil. Jesus Christ has accomplished this gospel through his blood on the cross. And he has won this salvation for you and for me and for the entire world. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Don't discriminate against somebody because they sin differently than you do. That's what the church does. Oh, we have those people that we will cast out because they sin in a different way than we do. The gospel is meant and intended for them as well so that they might too repent, certainly, and come to the knowledge of a Savior that has saved them from their sins. Now, if you think that the Missouri Synod is outside of this reality, you are sore mistaken. The fight for properly distinguishing between law and gospel. It's ever-present. The devil works there. That's where the devil does his work. That's where the devil is going to do his work. He's always tried to bind all of us to the law. When Jesus Christ comes and frees us by the gospel, body and blood of Jesus, given and shed for the forgiveness of your sins, this is a gospel meal. This is a grace meal. This is a mercy meal. Our lives are not bound by law. Our lives are bound by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the lampstand. When we become pharisaical, the threat is very real. That the gospel itself might even be taken away from us. You've seen these churches. They're closing by the dozens. They have been desolate. They've become houses where God does not dwell because God dwells in the gospel. And the gospel is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived. He performed miracles. He taught. He suffered and died for sinners, of which I and the greatest. Amen. And now may the peace of God, it transcends our ability to understand. May it guard your hearts and your minds, always never focused on your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.